a look at some of these big stories. Bandile, I want us maybe to kick things off, I guess, with a story uh, that might be relevant for people. Uh, going home. Uh, and that's a story there that uh, you may find that uh, you battle to uh, get a rental car at uh, many of these places uh, this holiday. And it seems four by fours are particularly scarce. What, what's happening in the rental uh, business and also, I guess, in the secondhand car market? Yeah, I mean, I think to, to an extent, it, it sort of does make sense. I, uh, if you consider just in the last 18 months, the impact that the pandemic and the various ongoing lockdowns that have had uh, on the tourism sector, you know, less travel, particularly international travel and even in-country travel, you know, um, a lot of the rental companies responded to this by reducing their, their fleet um, and uh, let go of a significant number of their vehicles. But now with the opening economy, with people more set to travel more in the, in the summer, it seems like uh, the reduced fleets are starting to have an impact on uh, people's plans and abilities to be able to move around. And I think beyond just the tourism, you know, the, the, the knock-on effects uh, on, on, on the entire supply chain or organizations or companies that during this time um, usually then um, make use of rental cars uh, for various projects. I know uh, within the healthcare sector, we've also been impacted to a certain extent, particularly with the 4x4s, where we're looking at um, getting certain 4x4s uh, to, to, to be able to do public health programs um, sure, that, that sure. go to rural areas. So I think it's, it, it, it's, it's something that does make sense because companies um, were, were responding to the pandemic. And I mean, I think on the 4x4, it extends beyond just uh, the issue of uh, rental cars. You know, just there's been uh, significant uh, declines with regards to production of 4x4s mm-hmm. this year. So uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely something that makes sense. And um, hopefully small businesses that are impacted by this, for me, I'm more concerned by them by, than, than just travel alone. But I think it's going to have an impact on uh, various um, industries. And I think the knock-on effects on the overall supply chain are going to be felt by many. Yeah, and I guess it's you know it's not unique, I must say, to the automotive sector. Uh, you certainly are hearing of a lot of other sectors where there's been massive cutbacks in inventory, massive cutbacks in production, uh, because, you know, um, and, and it's certainly, I guess, if you end up ramping up production to demand now and uh, you have a variant like the one that's doing the rounds, it might quickly strangle a lot of uh, that consumer demand as well. Definitely, and I think it's going to be sort of something that we're going to have to struggle with going forward. Sort of that balance as the world returns to, you know, if we can put an inverted commas norm, and the economies begin to tick again, you know, it's that balance of, you know, are we uh, back at pre-COVID levels? Should you be increasing productions? And to what level should you be increasing productions? I mean, there's uncertainty just around this festive season, you know, we don't even know whether... And the country will be on lockdown or not. Of course, um, the, 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 the president did say that they're going to be quite conservative in terms of how they go about um, lockdowns. But I think the uncertainty is really driving a lot of this. And it makes sense from a business perspective to really just uh, hold back on production and not go mass. Of course, those that uh, do have the risk appetite and have the balance sheets to be able to take on that risk, it might also be an opportunity for them to get ahead of the market in saying that, you know, I'm going to overproduce and hopefully... Um, uh, and hopefully take over the, the market and get some market gains. But I think um, it's something that we're going to cancel with for a while going forward. And it's, as you rightfully said, it's going to extend beyond just the rental car um, industry. It, it's definitely going to have a knock-on effect on various other industries. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, certainly one that we found very interesting uh, there with the team because uh, I guess, as I said, many people are going to be making their way uh, and uh, using road 
uh, transport in the main. And I guess, yeah, if you were thinking of going out into uh, uh, the bushveld and, uh, you know, having a good time there and hiring out a vehicle for that purpose, uh, you might want to maybe schedule that a bit earlier. Uh, but Bandile, I want us maybe just to touch on this mining and construction materials group. Um, they play in quite a few ferrous metals. Now, ferrous metals are the metals that include iron and yep. steel. Um, and the non-ferrous ones would, of course, be all the metals that don't include that. Now, these guys mine all of these, you know, uh, I guess, inputs into this, including iron ore. Uh, which has certainly come on some good prices. And uh, it's quite clear that the favorable price environment in iron ore has uh, given them quite a strong war chest here yeah. to go out and pick out a few acquisitions, uh, the latest of which, of course, being a mothballed operation out in Limpopo. What's happening here? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, I, it's, it's sort of this uh, part of this commodities boom, right, uh, that we, we are experiencing. And I think they're also benefiting from that. I know the packing industry as well has been um, quite smiling over this couple of months. So, yeah, um, Afrimet um, have seemed to be uh, making some bold moves. Um, they have uh, concluded a $550 million deal to buy, to buy uh, Glenova phosphate in Limpopo. Um, this is, of course, in line with their strategy of diversifying revenue and follows, uh, again, another acquisition that they made earlier this year for about $650 million, uh, in Northern Cape as well. So it seems like the organization is really going in and utilizing the favorable position that they find themselves in right now, you know, they have also stated that they have no debt, uh, which is quite impressive, and their cash flow is looking quite um, good. And from that perspective, and then now they're just using this to try and get ahead um, of the market and, and, and make certain strategic acquisitions. Uh, with the CEO um, coming in um, today saying that um, this forms part of the bigger strategy um, with regards to expansion. So a really interesting one, you know, for me, Every time these deals happen, you know, you always just want to, you know, you want to always just keep an eye out on the, how yeah. does the actual transi- transaction happen and the transition happen between the two organizations, particularly uh, the impact on one small businesses and uh, some businesses that uh, rely on these uh, already existing organizations. And just from an employment perspective, whether mm-hmm. or not there will be any restructures, but uh, seemingly um, the, the, the mining companies are, are enjoying uh, the commodities boom and making some key and strategic um, investment. Uh, so, uh, again, I feel that um, for me, definitely one that makes sense. Right, phosphate is quite a a, a useful um, element that can be used in various um, uh, in various uh, uh, production. You know, yes, looking at yes. things like fertilizers, magnets, particularly as we see the boom in electric cars and electric uh, trains. Even um, you know, this is going to be a key component of that. Uh, so it seems like they're trying to get ahead of the market on that particular mm-hmm. one by this acquisition. Yeah, it seems a big part of this is certainly around the applications to which this is used. You've mentioned there's a fertilizer, uh, but it does seem, I guess, some of the uh, other inputs uh, might also be critical to uh, elect powering electric vehicles. I mean, those magnets yeah. uh, you were referring to. So, uh, Bandila, I wanted to pause here for a second. We're going to take a quick spot break. But, Klasbuya, uh, uh, let's take a look at the latest facing Amazon out in Italy. And, uh, yeah, it just shows, I guess, uh, you know, uh, the big market dominance issues that are at play when it comes to the e-commerce sector.
Lumpomalanga Provincial Government brings you Cultural Experience Soul Session on December 12 at Lowfeld Botanical Garden from 11am in the morning. Uh, this will feature Sweet Mike, Musanene, Kelani Dube and entrance is 150 rand at www.ticketpros.co.za or spa outlets. No mask, no entry. Pumalanga, the place of the rising sun. p.m. Uh, yeah, do let us know some of your thoughts, of course, on some of those uh, big stories coming out in the marketplace and also what we're going to be picking up in the next few minutes or so around uh, the uh, Soweto electricity matter, in particular in relation to the protests that happened earlier on this week uh, in Dibkluf. And uh, yeah, many of you would have seen the videos uh, saying uh, uh, if uh, electricity is not restored. Uh, to a deep clue. So we'll take a look at that story. But uh, we continue with our business wrap now with uh, Bandile Matandela and uh, Bandile De Funaskale uh, out in Italy. Now, many of our listeners would know there's an ongoing inquiry here in South Africa around online intermediation platforms. So like all, all these platforms, this is Sebenzayo, you know, Take a Lot, uh, Amazon, all of those things. Now, in Italy, a similar type of, uh, I guess, analysis would have been done by their comp comp competition authorities. They call them antitrust. Uh, there, and it seems this time around, they find Amazon 1.1 billion rand. Why? Yeah, so, um, I, I mean, uh, to, to, to your point earlier, you know, it's this this conversation around tech and the e-commerce space, right, and possibly the under-regulation. I suppose it's a new industry, so it's moving at, at, a, at a rate that's faster than the regulations at this point. But certainly in Italy, the antitrust authority um, have decided to find Amazon uh, 1.1 billion euros. And this relates uh, relates to, to the issues of uh, Amazon allegedly abusing its dominant position in the e-commerce logistics space, basically supporting um, uh, their own ingrown logistics services and giving certain benefits to, 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 to users that use that and to customers that use that. So I think it goes back to the question around, you know, as these big monopoly organizations and when as they begin to sort of build these platforms, one, and, 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 and add certain services and, set, and add, add, add certain companies that then take over the entire supply chain, you know, it, it, it's just a question around, you know, to what extent, you know, can they put measures in place that favor their own businesses within that supply chain. But at the same time, you know, how does that impact the competition requirements of that particular sector and industry? So it seems like the, um, the Italians, um, you know, have just decided to draw a line on the sand and say that uh, this is anti-competition and that Amazon needs to mm -hmm. be, 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 more, be more inclusive and think about how uh, to ensure that other 
um, competitors that are not their in-house brands are able um, to compete from a logistic perspective. So for me, there's a broader conversation, right? And one is just around U.S. tech and how um, these, these position themselves globally. And I think it extends beyond Amazon, you know, the Facebooks of this world, the Ubers of this world. In South Africa, certainly Uber has been one area of contention and conversation. So I think for me, as the tech and the e-commerce world begins to really grow, and, the, you know, we've seen the rate of digitization increase quite significantly over the last couple of months, is how do we begin to regulate that particular sector? Because mm. it's growing at a rate that uh, currently the, the, the regulations are, are not there. But I think for me, uh, you know, I would say, you know, I get where the antitrust um, authority is coming from. But at the same time, you know, if you are a business and you built this business to a certain extent, you're going to want to support businesses that are affiliated to you and try and put them at an advantage. But uh, it's this co- it's this conversation around competition and around monopolies and the impact they have on markets and smaller companies. Mm. So, so I think, I mean, I, I think in this case, not by because... I don't think the issue is necessarily uh, from my reading that they have a logistics offering or that they're vertically integrated. I think, you know, they can deal with. But the problem is then to penalize people who don't choose your other offering. So you make yeah, sure... But, I mean, I, I just don't get that part, yeah. But the problem is around the value add as well. I, you know, if I position my offering in such a way that it potentially has certain advantages. And again, you know, to a certain extent, I should be allowed to do that, right? Because, you know, this is my platform. But I think it it, it speaks to that, right? It's to say, to what extent is the playing field fair, right? Um, In terms of the actual offering, which, Mm. yeah, it's a very difficult one, right? And I think for me, it's a situation of, you know, it's the broader conversation more than just this one incident. It's just the broader conversation around competition within these monopolies and also the e-commerce space. And suppose maybe Italy... uh, at this point, is just trying to send a message more than anything. Maybe it's beyond just this incident. If to send a message to say that big e-commerce organizations are going to have to adhere uh, to competitive practices or, you know, there's going to be significant implications. Uh, I imagine Amazon is going to push back to a certain extent, you know, it's mm. not going to, 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 to be something that they just take lying down. But, you know, I take your point as well in the sense of there is a slight exaggeration, but perhaps at this point it's more about sending the message than the actual um, fine here yeah, because you know yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's going to be a tricky one. It's going to be a complicated one. Uh, I think digitization is going to lead to a to to, to a bit of competi- um, complication mm. and potentially anti-competitive practices. You know, and it's going to be on all the competition authorities in various countries sure, to make sure. sure that they keep their paws on this. Yeah, you know, because I think you know, like in this particular space, I mean, is that you know the digital platforms themselves are like massive real estate. Uh, just like when you walk into a retail store and, you know, the things that at least eye level are the things you're more likely to see. So Bakubekwe cast out a pan of different brands. The ones you're more likely to see are not the ones at the bottom or even at the top, 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 top of the shelf. It's the ones in front of you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think if somebody now just by virtue of using, you know, that particular retailer's logistics platform uh, gets to be within eye level of everybody, then then I think that creates some problems. You know, uh, if you're excluding people from benefits that you give out to everybody, but you say, Nina, you're not using our other platform. So, uh, I think that for me is the issue. But as you rightfully say, I mean, uh, we're still going to see a lot of competition or antitrust issues in this particular space as it continues to develop.
But what do you make of the sugar giants? You, you, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. You know maybe before we move on, I, mm. for me, one of the questions I have, like if you take a, 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 a you know, typical brick-and-mortar store, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and you take some of, this brick, uh, some of these brands that have now developed in-house brands. If, if you actually pay attention, most of their in-house brands are always at eye level, right? Exactly. And to you know, <laughs> They always at the eye level. Is there potentially something to be looked at there as well to say, you know, they 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 preferring the in-house brands, or is it a matter of now we, you know, we 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 specifically targeting and the witch hunt uh, in the digital space? For me, you know, I think it needs to be looked at very broadly um, because you know that was my immediate thought as well as you talk now that you know to an extent you know uh, companies will always um, make sure that they put their own brands and their own. Um, uh, affiliated companies um, at, at positions mm-hmm. that will advantage them, but I, but but you know, at the same time, you don't want to be doing that at to the detriment of potential SMEs that could be within that space. Exactly, exactly, and I think that's the issue. I mean, you know, it might be happening on a digital platform, but I think, uh, as you right fully point out, I mean, it's it's happening even in the real economy, even in the things we can touch, see, and feel, uh, and I think that for me is 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 the the big sort of lesson that comes out of that Italian experience. Of course. I don't expect Amazon to take this lying down, as you said, uh, uh, so we'll certainly have to follow uh, how this particular one unfolds. But uh, yeah, let's, let, let's go to the sugar barons, the big uh, people out there in Guazul Natal, in Swaziland, in Zimbabwe. Uh, it seems, uh, yeah, the recovery underway and they had faced some difficulties over the last while, uh, but revenue up 5%, operating profits still down. Uh, but um, while they haven't declared a dividend, uh, they have, uh, I guess, continued to see some progress, as they suggest, in their business turnaround. Yeah, I mean, I think um, encouraging um, for 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 them, anyone or stakeholders within the Tongak space. Um, in that sense, I mean, I think some of the you know salient issues that have been raised, you know, again, it's just around in, 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 that there's continued progress around the turnaround strategy, you know, um, uh, with 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 also strong local demand for sugar across um, geographies. Of course, they were able to um, get back a dividend as well as management fees from the Zimbabwean. Um, operations of about 140 million, which for me was quite interesting, right? Because um, you know, in 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 South Africa, they, they they did experience, of course, an impact on their profit of about 158 million rand. Uh, adverse impact due to the unrest um, uh, that 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 we saw there in KZN, which to a certain extent was expected. Um, and I think now it's just a matter of actually quantifying. Um, the, the the actual impact, but it's looking good on their end. I know revenue is up. Um, you know. Uh, uh, I think the only thing, of course, profits have been have been impacted to a certain extent. So, but um, they look they look like they are on their way to a turnaround. They seem um, uh, happy with the progress that they've, they've made thus far, and I and I understand um, the logic around maybe not declaring a dividend. Right, um, in a turnaround, it becomes slightly difficult to to declare a dividend. Uh, yeah. You know, and I think once they've um, once, once, once they, they they begin to see an increase in profits again, you know, they're down about 23%, they'll probably be considering um, some of the issues around uh, issuing a dividend. Uh, but, yeah, interesting one. And I think for me, you know, I've always thought that maybe the, you know, that that, that introduced um, health levy tax, which I think was through sugar tax, uh, the health levy, health promotion levy, actually the sugar tax would have impacted these organizations uh, significantly, but it seems like uh, Tongat uh, is well on its way to recovery. Yeah. You know what I always find interesting about uh, um, players like this, I mean, is, is the link between their core business, which is to make sugar, 
uh, and what's happening in the world in relation to sugar, you know, and its role mm. in health issues, and you, mm. you know, the, you know the story. Uh, but also how big a part land sales have been for a player like Tongat. I mean, I was mentioning Zimbali earlier on, and um, you know, I guess the role in KZN of this these guys, not just as a producer of sugar, but a massive landowner and uh, the role of their land sales there. Uh, They came out and said these results were impacted by lower raw sugar production. I don't know if that's in relation to the sugar tax, but also uh, saying that the riots in July have affected their land sales, uh, um, let alone the other issues that they faced. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, uh, you're you're right there. You know, it's it's one of the things that land becomes a significant um, uh, conversation in, in this type of organization. And I mean, I think uh, beyond also that, you know, and I'm sure they'll be watching um, the happenings in Parliament quite uh, interested uh, with, with, a, with a focused eye there to see what actually happens uh, uh, with regards to, 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 to where the Constitution sits with regards to uh, land and uh, whether or not uh, land can be sort of uh, brought back to the ownership of the state or the people. You know, it, it, it's going to be an interesting one, and, and I think you're right. You know, it, it extends beyond just their core their core business, um, and um, I think it's going to be things that they're watching quite extensively, and uh, I think the, 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 they've already mentioned, of course, the impact uh, of, of, of lower production, uh, and I think to a certain extent, there's a potential issue around uh, the sugar tax, but also the issue around land and availability of land. Uh, uh, uh. You know, uh, I guess the land issue always vexing, and funding and good doing the parliament up again. Yeah, yeah. But last one, Bandile, before we let you go, uh, I'm always interested, I guess, in the rail sector, and, uh, you know, interesting in this particular one because there's two. You know, entities here, Hitachi of Japan and Alstom, who have also been very much involved in the railway and the electricity debates in South Africa over the last while. And we know Alstom bought Bombardier, who are the guys who, you know, operate the, uh, uh, or I guess built the Khao train. Um, and it seems now they've won a two billion pound contract to supply a fleet, a fleet of 225 miles per hour. Now, we are converted into kilometers per hour. But it's clearly an electric train, a cool. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, while we battle with our own electricity problems, it seems like other countries are advancing, right? Um, so, yeah, Hitachi uh, of Japan, as well as Alstom, uh, seems like they've come together from the consortium. They've uh, been awarded this contract, as you rightfully say there. And, and you know, rail is an interesting conversation, right? Because, mm. uh, particularly in the context of South Africa as well, you know, maybe just to take a step away from, 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 from London now. You know, we, we, we obviously have the hard trade from a passenger perspective, but for me, rail is always interesting from a cargo perspective, you know, and, and, and what potential impact it could have on, on, on how we move moving freight and the cost on that particular one. Of course, Alaska's got a, uh, it's just, you know, the, the, the rail infrastructure, yeah, it's, it's not looking good at all. But I think for me, this was an interesting story, and I couldn't help but, uh, as I'm reading the story, just wonder, you know, at what point will South Africa mm-hmm. get to this to this level? You know, the other day we had an incident of the car train actually being affected by load shedding, uh, you know, and I think before we even look at that, we'll probably just have to look at the power problem, uh, energy problem in South Africa as a whole. But I think interesting for England... As I said when we started, I mean, one of these guys here, Hitachi, was involved in a, 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 a power issues here in South Africa. I mean, I think they were involved. Uh, I'm not sure which of the power stations we were building at yeah. the moment, but one of their businesses, yeah, Hitachi Power Africa, um, you know, was involved in this. Uh, and I'm saying, you know, they didn't crown themselves in any glory, uh, both of these companies. But it seems in England uh, they're getting uh, good contracts, and uh, we'll watch closely if they deliver on these ones because. 
Uh, we can't <laughs> cry here when it's seemingly the same characters as well, you know? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, right, uh, the, the, the fact that they're in some form of consortium will also help them. But you, you're right, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's this thing on one part of the, on one part of the world, you know, you're married in controversy uh, related to power, but on the other mm. part of the world, you you getting contracts that are also uh, linked to that, and maybe maybe you know it would be a, a situation of just unpacking that consortium and what role each player will play, yes, um, because yes. of what I understand at this point is just more around manufacturing the chains more than it is about uh, producing power or energy. So maybe in this particular case, it will be something that they will be able um, to, to to deliver on. You know, so so for me, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's gonna yeah, it's an interesting one. It's, it's it's just around you know globalization and just some of the impacts and that we're seeing there. And and I mean, suppose someone would argue that to a certain extent, it's a separate part of their business. Uh, with uh, with different um, management and control, so you know, and they would argue that um, this side of the, the the other side of the business will be able um, to 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 produce and to actually deliver. And of course, maybe on the back of the consortium and the partners that they have in the consortium, um, the, the English government um, were, was able to believe that they they have the the capabilities to be able to deliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think. Uh all of the other stuff aside, I mean, this, this is interesting because what it does suggest is is that, you know, in critical transport infrastructure, and I think you're right, Bandile, when you say, you know, when you're a high-speed train, you know, here in South Africa, I mean, you know. Hey, buddy. Hey, don't you, you know. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I'm quite interested, I mean, because they're saying that, you know, they're going to build a new production line as a result of this contract out in Derby. Um, and they also have a wheel manufacturing facility, which will now sustain the jobs they have, add another 2,000 in the wider supply chain. I mean, this is the kind of investment that we should be looking for, yeah. you know, the type of investment that really sinks in jobs and sinks in critical knowledge and know-how. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you're right, Aya, but we also need to con- co- consider that um, there's a lot of enabling factors that you must consider here, right? Mm. Um, this deal, first and foremost, is enabled by a consistent supply of energy and electricity in England, sure, which is something sure. that we, we would have a, a challenge with in South Africa. You know, it's enabled by, 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 by having certain skills um, that will allow for them to be able to produce at that scale, at that level. They've got the resources, they've got the funding. Of course, these are things that we should be buying for in South Africa, we should also be, be be doing but i think at this point you know for me you know we're still way behind in the curve when it comes to electric cars even you know i never mind electric mm. trains i think yes we've got the car chain uh but i uh, but even expanding the car chain i mean how many years has it been now we should have expanded to other links other routes uh, i would have imagined i mean for me i've been honestly quite disappointed to say that you know we should have expanded um uh, uh, just the car chain and you know if we're still just struggling with the car chain we're not struggling but if we still just care, you know, at what point will we get to connecting cities? Because that's where they are now. You know, they're looking at connecting mm. potential cities, you know, moving from Manchester to 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 to, to, to Birmingham or London to Birmingham. Uh, in South Africa, you know, we, 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 now the conversation is potentially extending the, the, the how chain to Renberg. And whether we finally get to that or not, you know, we'll, 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 we'll have to wait and see. But yeah. I think it extends just beyond the how chain. I think South Africa just has, doesn't have that environment, that enabling environment mm. to allow for us to even begin to think about this. You know, I think at this moment, 
can we just get ESCOM right? Can you know even if it's not if it's ESCOM, it's ESCOM. But let's get the power energy, uh, the power Something. crisis in South Africa right first before exactly. we can even think about uh, electric trains. You know, because then ultimately, mm. then you you know there'll, there'll be risk uh, risk elements that will just um, need to be taken care of. You know, because can you imagine uh, at a two hundred and twenty one mile the hour train, you know, you experience load shading. You know, what does that look like and what would that impact be? Hey, buddy. Yo, yo, yo. But, uh, yeah, I think you're right, man. We, what we saw earlier this year, just with the Khao train, I think is something you don't want to replicate at those speeds. And I want to thank you for taking time out to speak to us. Debulala, cool. And uh, have a good show going forward. Um, and I'll definitely be tuning in some interesting topics that you have coming up there. Thank you very much, brother. Bandile Matandela, market analyst, joining us for our business wrap.